Thank you for joining us on another season of Beyond Clean, a live podcast where the cleaning industry talks about everything that is healthy, positive, and proactive. Beyond Clean is a podcast that is broadcast out of our studios inside Gym Supply in Orlando, Florida. We're always looking for guests at Beyond Clean, so reach out to me, your host, David Thompson, at dthompson at academyofcleaning.com or call us at 888-999-6059. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Now, let's get started with today's guest on Beyond Clean. Well, folks, it's another episode of Beyond Clean with Ace. It is February the 1st. This is our third episode for our fifth season. It's hard to believe that 21 is going this fast. Sean, are you with me again? Have I, you know what? Last week I had bad connection. Maybe I can get through this week with good connections. Yeah, I'm this morning, Dave, and uh, proud to be here. Well, you know, before we get started on today, Sean, do you feel do you feel like the year's going by too fast already? Yeah, I can't believe it's already February first. It was just like we were fussing about uh, Christmas and New Year's and all that kind of stuff just a couple, I mean, like two days ago is what it seemed like. But now we're into February and the year's already off. And I, I look at my year from January to September. If I don't get it sold between January and September, I don't sell it. So I'm already into, you know, well into my year. <laughs> so, so before we get into today's subject, uh, what what happened uh, in in January? It's been a month since I talked with you. Well, uh, let's see. I've had a multitude of small things around the house going wrong. Garage door broke. Uh, fuel pump <laughs> went out in one of the vehicles. Tractor broke down. Um, uh, had new flooring replaced in the house. Uh, I mean, just a whole skew of things happening personally. But uh, as the year ter- took off, as far as business goes, I'm ahead of last year, which is a positive. So I'm about 20% ahead uh, as far as the first month goes as uh, compared to last year. So that's that's a good sign for me that I'm already that far ahead. So uh, if I can maintain that kind of momentum, that'll put me where I need to be at the end of the year. So I'm, I'm happy how January turned out. So don't leave us hanging. Did you get everything fixed? Well, the tractor is due to be fixed this week. Um, the fuel pump in the truck has, has a new f- fuel pump in it, but I discovered a problem with one of the fuel lines. So I'm replacing that and that I have to be honest about that that's a 1996 Ford Bronco that I'm working on for my wife's daily driver so we're just trying to work out the kinks in that so that's not our daily right now it's not our daily driver uh the flooring is installed in the house I do have to put the baseboard back up but that's all that's all I've got left to do with there and uh oh yeah we had a issue with the um the back doors on the house the when the house was originally built, uh, I guess the builder went to uh, the middle of Timbuktu and found the locks that go on those doors. And the gentleman that made them in Timbuktu only made two of them for our house and there was no more available. So I had to replace the doors on the back of the house, which is an expensive proposition. And that uh, was ordered in November and it looks like it's going to be March before it shows up. So that's a whole nother thing, but that those are just personal things that are working themselves out. 
You know, that's kind of that's kind of interesting that you mentioned that because you know when you get into projects, there's always something that happens. So we have been working for several months on the new floors since you mentioned installation of new floors. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, over at our Tampa location for gym supply, you know, where we have our academy classrooms at. And uh Thank you for your advice here on the podcast channel over the last months, because as we went through the process, uh, I, I went back to my memory banks on, on some of the discussions. So let's start today and talk about, you know, uh, if people haven't uh, listened to podcasts from last year, um, I've got a concrete floor. Uh, that has something else on it. I want to put down luxury vinyl of some sort. What are the things that a client should be looking for? You, you coached me through it, but you know, let's refresh everybody's memory. Well, the first thing, of course, is if so. You're saying the floors doesn't have anything installed on it right now in, in our scenario. No, no, no. Our, our case was there was stuff on it. You know, there was ceramic or there was uh, VCT. And there was carpet tiles laid over the VCT, you know, which I think that's what you get. Uh, we talked about this earlier, where people are taking out what they've had. They want to redo it. They want to update. And what are they in for? Well, depending on the the actual job, there's a lot of things that could be apparent. I mean, the first the first and foremost thing you want to look for is a uh, nine by nine or eight by eight VCT type tile if you have that smaller size anything smaller than 12 inches square you need to assume that that has an either it contains asbestos itself or it has an asbestos adhesive called cutback up under it that will need to be either encapsulated uh, leaving that floor there and going over it with some type of floating lvt or actually having it uh, properly removed and uh and clean so that would be my first first thing to observe and if then moving forward if you don't have uh, anything less than a 12 by 12 uh vct there then uh i would suggest doing some moisture test some rh test which you can do with the existing floor installed you just drill a hole in the floor and uh, wait 24 hours and place the probe in it make sure that the uh the floor is at a, a normal moisture level that you're expecting to work with the new floor that you're going to be putting down so you can so you can kind of pre-plan what your expenses are going to be. If your normal moisture ranges, uh, 95% RH or under, that can be you that you can use normal LVT and adhesive with, then you can move forward and you kind of know that you just got to rip up the existing floor and remove the existing adhesive that's on the floor and then skim coat the floor back uh, with a cementitious underlayment in order to level it if you only have minimal uh, leveling issues and then you can move forward with your installation. If you find that you okay, have moisture, so, then you have other things. So, so what about these people that don't want to take up their uh, VCT floor? They just want to uh, put an adhesive on and uh, slap a, vi a vinyl over top of it. We can do that. I mean, that we, we do that on a regular basis. I mean, I use, I kind of use the funny term stuck like Chuck. If the VCT in the uh, existing building is stuck like Chuck and there's no VCT coming up anywhere, no alkaline looking uh, white uh, residue around the seams of the VCT, there's no signs of any kinds of issues coming up with it. 
are, are in the floor, then you can sand the floor or strip it and remove the existing wax that's on the floor or finish that's on the floor and move forward with your installation. But you're only as good as your existing floor. So if those VCT tiles release for any reason, the current manufacturer that's installed on top of them will not cover that installation. So whenever they're going to do this, I thought you just said some key things that, uh, you know, because here's the uh, interesting thing. Now at, at Tampa, at our location there, we chose to do what you just said a minute ago. We took everything off and and then uh, leveled it out with a, um, uh, a cement leveling agent, and then they yeah. smoothed that out and everything. I don't think we did the moisture test, as you said. Uh, we're renting that spot, so we didn't, uh, you know, we just didn't go that way. Uh, but, you know, there had been a layer of, uh, VCT and literally with a putty knife, it just popped right off the floor. So it right. wasn't stuck like Chuck. Right. You know, now, now and, and, and then the, the carpet tiles were kind of just stuck on there. So both of these came off real easy, which uh, was a different situation that, than at Orlando. Now at Orlando, the, the tile had been there quite some time and the installer there, to my knowledge, just came in, put the adhesive on, and laid it right over the floor. I do not believe any stripping of the VCT happened, and there had been some issue with the mastic or glue coming up between the tiles. Is there going to be an issue later? Uh, there's a possibility if you had, if you've got mastic coming up, if it's an older installation and you have adhesive coming up between the VCT tiles, there's something going on. Either you've okay. got a uh, moisture issue or you have a uh, plasticizer migration issue where you have two adhesive reacting with each other and not liking it and created, creating a gray goo that's coming up. Uh, or, or the third option is less minor and you've had a lot of topical moisture and some of that moisture has made it through to the adhesive and is uh, liquefied and letting it come back up through the top. So in this case... Is there a difference? I think I know what I want to say, but I'm asking you. You're the professional here. Um, is there a difference between a glued-down vinyl floor or a floating vinyl floor whenever I've got these kind of situations and I don't want to take up the VCT? Yeah, a floating LVT is a lot, le a lot more forgiving than a glue-down LVT as far as not so much in moisture allowance, but in uneven floors, floors that are not level, uh, floors mm -hmm. that have some um, rippling across them or undulation, I guess would be a word that you would use, uh, across the floor that kind of hide some of that because they're typically long, longer planks and they're rigid core. So they have a, a stiff inner layer to them that doesn't allow them to flex. What happens with a two and a half millimeter LVT that's glued down, the adhesive pulls it down to the to the substrate and allows it to show imperfections in the floor up under it, whereas a floating LVT goes over it. <clears throat> but you still have to be in the same moisture requirements that you would for a regular glue down LVT because you can mold and mildew issues, other things can become apparent with a floating floor. 
Okay, so uh, somebody asked me a question as I was, you know, because we now have classes on this subject. Uh, thank you for your advice and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. What? So what's a vapor barrier, moisture barrier that people talk about that you put down before you put the floating? Uh, is that, what does it do? I... I don't really talk about those things as a moisture barrier. There's cushions that you can put down under between the floors. Different manufacturers have different ways. Um, we have a, an attached cushion that goes under our floating floor. Uh, we do not call that a moisture barrier. Um, I don't, I don't want to encapsulate any kind of moisture on a substrate. If I think there's a moisture problem, that needs to be corrected prior to putting any new flooring down because you're just you're covering something up that's going to blister up later and cause a problem. And I think that's the issue I want to talk about first this afternoon, Sean. Is is you know whenever you're talking about getting the floor before you purchase the floor, we should know these kind of things, correct? It's advantageous to know as much as possible because sometimes you could get into a situation, let's say you had a, uh, an installation of VCT that was down and the floor was very uneven. It wasn't, you know, it was level, but it was uneven. There's two. Oh, well, that's things. most level. of the floors out there, Sean. Come on. Right, exactly. So you have a really uneven floor uh, and it's the customer doesn't want to spend a ton of money on the renovation. So in that particular situation, it would probably be best to go with a floating floor. Because the that was, floor that, will cover those areas. That is what I wanted to hear you say. Because in my in my viewpoint, I'm you know, hey, I'm glad that your viewpoint and mine coincide with each other. It makes the podcast a little bit easier, right? Right. right. <laughs> you, you know, but the thing here is, is as I looked at what was done, um, the choice was to put a glued down three inch. Um, I'm sorry a glued down six inch vinyl over top the uh, VCT and the planks now show all the seams underneath them from the VCT. Something that you're talking about is adhesive and it adheres to. My choice would have been to go with the floating floor to minimize that and get rid of you know, to make it look more like it's a brand new floor rather than what it actually is, <laughs> one over yeah, other. I mean, if you don't if you don't want to spend the money to rip up that material, then the best thing to do is to go over it and float over it. Okay, so uh, the reason I want to talk about that, Sean, is because you have choices that we need to make prior to a purchase, which would be helpful, and definitely prior to installation based on many different factors here. Are there any others that we're not talking about uh, yet? Well, in a commercial environment, we look at, we like to think of in a renovation on a commercial environment, we like to look at as much as possible before you go into the project, as far as, you know, one of the first things to talk about is budget. What is the client's budget going into the project? That'll, that'll lead you into a certain parameter of products. And then the second thing is what is going on? What type of traffic is in the facility? What type of furniture is there going to be rolling traffic with heavy loads? Is there going to be 
um, people sitting in task chairs working in a call center environment? What, what is the environment of the space to, to denote what kind of floor you want to use? Because I've got projects that I've turned down using uh, LVP or LVT on because they're just not conducive for that product. And I think that's whenever we were looking at the flooring at, at uh, the TAMP office, um, your advice uh, in that matter really went into the decision because, uh, yes, budget was one of the things. What's, what's our investment? The other thing was long-term use. And I think the other thing that you brought up uh, earlier at that time, Sean, last year was mm-hmm. uh, the protective layer. And we talked about that and then I went out uh, doing the shopping and a lot of the stores had no idea about the la- the protective layers that you were talking about whenever I went to the retail shops and, and some of these were commercial outlets. So can we talk about that a little bit? You're talking about the wear layer on the product itself? Right. Yeah. So yeah, there's different wear layers on the product and there's different ways of applying the wear layer and there's different things that different manufacturers put in the wear layer to market it. So a lot of that's determinant uh, or shown to be determined by price. So if you have a 20 mil wear layer on a product and it's a dollar, say it's the, the wholesaler selling for a dollar 49 a square foot for a 20 mil wear layer, and then I have, I possibly, I have a 20 mil wear layer product that's $1.99 or $2.09 a square foot. There's a difference between the two. There's a reason why the one costs more than the other. And the former being that $1.49 pays for a, a, a UV cured straight urethane with no additives or aggregates added to the urethane. So it's just a clear coat painted on or poured onto the top of the picture of the LVT wood and it's cured with UV light and it's a very inexpensive type product and it's, that's a 20 mil. Whereas you could buy one from me or another one of my competitors that has a 20 mil that costs $2 or a little bit more per square foot on the wholesale cost and that product has an aggregate in it where it be you know aluminum oxide or ceramic beads or uh, diamond tin that Armstrong talks about. Uh, there's different additives that they put in that we put in the, the wear layer to make it resist scratching better and also to make it wear longer. And that is determines a different that determines a different price point uh, for maybe the same wear layer thickness of of clear coat on it. And then you can go from 20 mil, 30 mil, 40 mil. Okay. Now see that's where a lot of the commercial places I went to, or the or I should say the shops I went to they were talking what they felt was residential grade and commercial grade. So uh, I went in and said, well, where's your 40 mil? And they were like, it doesn't exist. Right. Well, nothing against the people that you were talking to, but most, most of the salespeople in the retail environment for flooring um, have very little, if no material product training. They have a lot of sales training on how to sales and position sales and price points and that kind of thing. But they have a lot. They, they lack luster and in, in material training, which gets a lot of their consumers, customers in trouble because 
whatever salesman like myself comes into their store and sells them on a product or gives them a spiff on a product to sell it, they're selling that product just because they want to sell something or they need to sell something instead of having the proper information. And I, you know, I, it's, that's, that's a cruel thing for me to say, cause I used to be one of those salespeople, you know, and before I was a mill rep. So what are they, I mean, you know, the, now from the experience that I had, and this was like uh, last uh, November, um, they were talking eight and 10 mil. You said commercial 20, and then you said some of the product that you told us to get and that we actually did get and install wound up to be 40. So we've got eight, 20, and then 40, I guess, is the top. Right now, 40 mil is the top. There's a couple of couple of manufacturers that make a 40 mil. Mannington's one of them. Uh, there's It starts, you know, your residential uh, apartment grade type product is around six mil or eight mil. And then you can go up to a 12 mil for a tenant grade commercial for three to five years of expected use. And then moving into 20 mils where I, that's where I start for all of my commercial stuff. I do have a 12 mil, but it's just a 12 mil with a regular urethane finish on it, clear coat. And it's expected to last three to five bit, three to five years in a, uh, you know, tenant improvement type environment where the tenant's probably going to move out in five years or renew their lease and they'll redo the floor and the paint when they renew the lease. And that's what, that's where I start at. Uh, the, the six and eight mil products, those are definitely for residential. That is all. So this is something that our audience needs to really know that, that, you know, this isn't just as simple as going and getting something from your local hardware store, slapping it down, and then saying, well, that product after three, four years was bad. I shouldn't have ever done that because we didn't do enough research. They're not all created equal is what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I've had customers over the, you know, I had one not too long ago last year came to me and said, you know, hey, I wanted to see what your price points were. I knew them personally. They, they said they wanted to see what my price points were on on LVT since I worked for the manufacturer. Well, I, I gave them, you know, I'm, due to the relationship I'd had with this person and this organization, I gave them a price point that was direct and wholesale, and I was going to give sell it to them direct as a favor. And the gentleman finally came back to me and said, well, we're just not going to use your product. It's just too expensive. And I can get the same thing cheaper at Home Depot for – uh, half the price. And I didn't argue with the gentleman. I said, I will, in order to ensure the relationship for the future, I said, okay, that sounds great. You know, if that you can get the, you feel you can get the same product at Home Depot for less money, then go, go buy it. Sure. And uh, happy, happy, happy trails. And, and it's not the same product. You know, it may say 20 mil on it and it says, you know, lifetime warranty and all that kind of stuff. But once you get into the product and read the warranty and read what it is and, you know, Home Depot buys that stuff by the container loads and from overseas and and ships it to the different stores. And, yeah, they do have a cheaper price, um, but it's not the same product. It's not manufactured the same way. It's um, not laminated the same way. It doesn't have the same finish on the top of it or wear layer. So it's not the same product. You get, you know, it's like any anything in, on this earth that you buy, you get what you pay for. Right. Um and, and until you get up into the upper echelons of 
quality and you're just paying for finishes, you know, when you buy a Lexus versus a Toyota, you're probably getting the same car as a Toyota, but Lexus has a lot prettier <laughs> uh, door handles and stuff on it, you know? Well, so, th this is all the conversation, you know, of before you get it installed. And Sean, we could probably talk for a long time. I want to just uh, say here, folks, that uh, the podcast here, Beyond Clean with Ace, here on Podbean Live, is sponsored by Jim Supply. They have been providing cleaning supplies to Central Florida for well over 60 years. Um, we are very happy to be sponsored by them. And as you've learned uh, today, our classes, uh, our live classes here in Florida, we have our classrooms inside their offices in their four locations. So uh, we do have some hands-on classes that are still happening. And we've maintained, uh, you know, six people. We wear our masks. We do our temperature checks. But when you talk about this type of issue here, We've been talking today about pre-installation. Now, Sean, you gave me some advice about install once the installation's done or during installation. And so kind of want to talk about that a little bit. So during the installation, if you're, uh, you know, if you can be present on the job site to make sure that the installer is doing what you asked to do and is following the guidelines, proper uh, manufacturer's guidelines on installation, that is a plus for you to, to be there on site. Um, the, not, the, not to say that the installer is going to do what he wants to do, but just to make sure that the pattern's laying out the way it should be, the you know direction of the tiles the way it should be, all those kinds of things are being, those needs are being met. After the install is complete, before the installer leaves, it's best to walk the job with the installer and see if there's anything that you want fixed immediately, like a cut that's not exactly right, or a tile that's installed incorrectly, or uh, anything like that that you might want to have corrected. Because it's really hard to have those installers come back to the job site afterwards and, and fix it. They all work by the piece, and they're off to another job, and hard to get them to come back. So it's so nature of the beast. What would be some of those things? Now, I know what I did here, and I don't want to get into that right, at, right away, but um, what would be, I, I think you said, a, a cut on a tile or a plank, uh, the direction of the plank or the tile? Yeah, what are the other things? Sure, like, so you making sure that if you've used multiple colors in a pattern, that the pattern's being installed the way you want it to be. Like if you have a color A and a color B, that... They're in the right locations uh, to, in order to create the pattern that you or your designer wanted you to have uh, to make sure that the right color is in the right room. Maybe you had Office A's got, you know, color blue and Office B has color red and make sure they're not switched up. Uh, those are make sure, Go over all those kinds of things with the installer prior to the install. You know, is there enough material on the job site to complete the job? Did it all show up? You know, I've got a job right now that I'm dealing with that the, the shipping company uh, misplaced a pallet of carpet tile. So there's 200 square yards of carpet tile floating around in space somewhere that we can't find. <laughs> so, you know, did everything show up on time before you start ripping everything out? I mean, those are all things that you try to, that helps the installation go efficiently uh, prior to you. Making sure you have all, you know, if you're going to fix, like I'm fixing my fuel pump on my truck, 
you know, before I take the fuel pump out, did the fuel pump come in? Is it the correct fuel pump? Is my Are my fuel lines the correct length that I ordered? I mean, all those kind of things that you're preparing to do a project before you start tearing everything out, inconveniencing everyone to make sure that everything's set up properly. So, ladies and gentlemen, based on some of that advice that you just heard, and we've covered this in, in, in previous podcasts, but we're kind of reviewing this today because all of this advice that we learned on that, that, that I learned on the podcast from Sean here is things that I used during our installation over in Tampa. Now, one of the things that you and I talked about at great length, and I already knew from some of the tile work I've done, was the the leveling of the floor before. And I was very adamant with my installer that this had to be skim coated and smoothed out and I was one of those people that I've you know I'm teaching classes and and you know Tampa is an hour and a half away from me and so I couldn't be on the job like you said every day but he had other jobs in the area so it wasn't a big issue for him to to kind of do it as a piecemeal type thing and so I went over and checked the floor and I found some places that I didn't like and so I said, hey, you know, and hey, my wife said, what are you going to do? Take a level over there? And, and I said, well, you know me too well. <laughs> right. you know, you know, and, and so what I did is I took the store manager and I showed him where the places were that weren't level because this LV product is very thin. And so any of those unlevel places were going to show up. And so the store manager goes, wow, I didn't even see that. And I think this is the thing that you've really got to be careful because you're putting down a 40 mil product. You don't want to peel this up in three years. Well, you don't want to peel it up the next day either because it was installed improperly. And when you have um, an un, there's an unlevel floor and then there's a bumpy floor, uneven floor. <laughs> so, so when you have an uneven floor that goes up and down across maybe a 10 foot or 12 foot span, every time that floor changes elevation, it takes something from the product. So not only will you look across the floor with light shining on it and, you know, it looks too like two raccoons fighting in a croaker sack, you know, roughly across there, or you can, the other thing it does is it takes um, measurement away. So, it'll create gaps in the LVT because it's longer going down or longer going up, going down into a little dip. So you end up creating a, a stretch point or a point that the product won't cover the entire distance like it's supposed to. So it makes it uneven next to them and creates a gap to the next plank ne uh, next to it, if that makes sense. So this is what we found. And, and so the installer came back and re-leveled a couple of places. And one of the things that I did before we even started installation is I dry fitted not only the uh, tiles, the LVT, I dry fitted the LVP, and then I even went over and dry fitted the VCT, as you said, for the patterns, took pictures of those and made sure the installer had the pictures since I wasn't there so that he could right. follow the pictures and I made sure that I put the patterns in and showed him a close up of those patterns. So, you know, your advice was very well. Uh, I just wanted to let you know, I listened and I used your advice. Well, good. I'm glad it worked out. I'm glad I didn't give you poor advice. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
so the thing here is, is after it got all laid, you know, I got pictures of it and I go, well, you know, that looked good. And I asked somebody that was there, I said, would you take a walk around and look at it so I don't have to drive over? And he said, nope, nope, nope. Uh, I'm not going to get in the middle of this. This is your deal. You come and look at it. And I'm so glad that he said that because when I got over there, the tile looked okay, but the mm -hmm. plank floor was a whole nother story. Right. So what I did found, you see? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So what did I see? Well, I mean, it looked good from the picture. But when you got down, I could take a dime and I couldn't slide it across the floor because it kept hitting the ends of the planks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What would happen like if the customer just, you know, well, I didn't check that. I didn't see that. Let's talk about these after installation issues. Well, you've probably, in your years of maintenance and putting finish on BCT, you've seen where the installer left something under the floor and there was a bump, right? What does a burnisher do to it? <laughs> uh, well, you just, uh, in some cases, you can pick the tile up and throw it across the room. <laughs> that, or it burnishes the top right off of it, you know, and you got you got a, a, a black place where they it just cut the top of the tile off. So, right. or, you know, wore it down. So, that's that's what happens. You get a kick point where you, everybody's feet hits those LVTs that are higher, or the cleaning equipment hits it and causes it to prematurely wear. You can get because it goes down with a pressure sensitive adhesive. You get you can get soil under that higher tile and cause it to release. There's any a lot of multitude of things that goes along with it. Plus, it just creates a shadows and light refractions and reflects a poor installation. Well, I think one of the things you just mentioned, Sean, was the maintenance of it. And I think that's the last point we'll get to today for today's cast is, you mm -hmm. know, if in fact you went through all of this effort to make sure that you got the right material, laid the right product, did the moisture test, um, you know, made sure that it was level. Now we've got it installed. If I didn't make sure this last step here before I start maintenance, during a pandemic time, you got to think, now what have I created? Now I've created a place for bacterial growth on the floor because we didn't make sure this final step. So what I did is I pointed out to him, I got right down, I took a picture, I put a, a dime right next to it to show him the difference between one you know piece of the floor, one level of the floor and the other. Right, right. And then what he did is he came in, he pulled all those out um, and reinstalled. And, uh, you know, I asked the store manager at the time, I said, did he roll that, that weight across? Oh, yeah, 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 I saw him do it. But here again, I took the store manager and I said, here, feel this. You see, these are what I'm looking for. Right. <clears throat> and so when the installer was doing it, he knew what to go over there and look. And, you know, so the store manager who didn't know all of this stuff, hadn't heard your podcast, you know, we were able to work together in tandem. And now we have a floor that is ready for maintenance uh, because of, of what we learned here on the podcast. Right. Uh, that's what made you aware of it. That's what you're saying. Well, yeah. I mean, it, like you said, you know, I was aware of these things because we've right. been maintaining floors for decades now. But, the, you, you know, you, you, you just... I think we all get into this, right? You know, I've got a schedule. I got this dude. Do I really have to drive an hour and a half to go look at the floor? 
And if I wouldn't have, now what would I do when I get into maintaining a floor that has lippage? Because, you know, if it's a, if it's a quarry tile floor, a ceramic floor, you know, that's a whole nother thing. If it's a stone floor, I can, uh, you know, we grind out lippage. You, right. you, there's no, you, you can't put floor finish over this to, to cover lippage. No, you're going to be dealing with that. It's a permanently messed up installation. It's not, it wasn't done properly to start with. It's always going to give you problems and you're going to have it for the duration. And it's going to shorten the life of the, 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 the life of the product because it'll eventually, those planks will eventually come up. And when they do, you'll be past the point of replacing them or frustrated and you've got adhesive with sand in it. It's just not going to, it's just going to be a problem. So catching it the day of or the day after installation where you get the installer to come right back and repair it like you did is a proper thing to do. Do you know what he did to fix the issue? Well, that's what I would just, I want, I want to go into something here a minute. You, you work with people all the way from conception to finish. How much do you run into this kind of a situation? Because the installer maybe even wasn't quite up to snuff, didn't really have the experience because during our process with this, Sean, I had to go to four different installers before I found one that I was comfortable with that even knew enough to do this right. We run into it uh, constantly. I run into it constantly for all different types of reasons. For okay. the reason that a guy gets tired of doing Broadloom residential carpet and says, well, if I get a box full of individual pieces of planks, that's pretty daggum easy. I think I can do that. So he tells the owner of the business that he can install LVT or LVP planks and he gets a job and he goes out and does it, screws it up because he doesn't know what the heck he's doing. Or, <laughs> or we have, you know, that's, that's the worst case scenario. The other case is you have an installer who his company that he's subbing for bid the job on a three bid, uh, you know, closed bid market oh, kind of situation so that he's not getting paid, but 75 cents a foot to put it down. So he's not going to spend any extra time putting anything together right properly because he's not getting paid enough to do it. That's not his fault. It, I mean, you know, from a morality uh, thing, it should be his fault, but as far as a financial situation, it's not his fault. He's just slapping it on the floor, getting paid as much as he can to put the square footage down. So, yeah, we run across it all the time, constantly. It's a constant issue. It's a weakness in our business. So once it's installed, do many people have the issue before they start maintaining it, correct it? What is this also another <laughs> Depending on the severity of the issue, if it's a general contractor situation, if the superintendent on the job with the general contractor is paying attention to the floor covering installation, then it'll, you know, it'll be addressed at that time and fixed with, you know, the care of the owner being involved. A lot of times what happens, these floors go down and say in a, in a school, a K through 12 school, they're putting ceiling tiles up, the you know, they're finishing sheetrock, they're doing some painting, they probably got the sprinkler guy in there testing the sprinkler system. So as soon as the floor goes down, they put RAM board over it. And I don't, I'm the one that hears about it two months later after the school opens. And I go, well, you know, that's a, something that should have been addressed the day it was installed because it was installed improperly. And uh, 
But at that point, then we have to backtrack and see if there's any warranty left on the installation and if they can get somebody back out there and, you know, what, what's been damaged with the kids walking on or the water put being put under it, you know, it, it's just, so a lot of times, no, it doesn't get addressed at the beginning. It's addressed way down the line. And it, well, this is what I didn't want to have happen because we had talked about this on a previous episode. And so um, the installer was very, very nice. Uh, he, he said, no problem. Just like the leveling thing, he came back out and re-leveled the, the areas and smoothed them out. And whenever I found this area lippage, I, he sent me a picture and I said, um, what'd you do? He said, I ripped up all of the floor uh, in that area and we reinstalled the whole thing. And, yeah. and, and then I got down on my hands and knees and he says, I rubbed over all of it to make sure that it's smooth. And uh, so then the store manager, he said, I went over and did the same thing. Now, I haven't seen it personally since that, so I, I can't attest to how it looks today. Uh, I'm right. going to be over there tomorrow and I'll be taking my final inspection of it. But, you know, here again, it was through what we learned on the podcast with you that helped me and then the store manager and quite possibly even this installer. Right. Well, you can use it to an, a learning experience. You know, I, I, it's you, the installers, a lot of times, like I mentioned earlier with the salespeople in the retail locations, the installers have never been to a plant where the product is made. They've never met me, a manufacturer's rep. They've never been trained on how to put down a floor. You know, at least in the automobile industry, you have an ASC certified mechanic who's went to schools and classrooms, sat in a classroom and learned how to, you know, to read the computer on the car, to give the codes and to replace parts. And, and they may have not been to a manufacturing plant, but they've been to a classroom where they've learned how to work on the vehicle. Whereas in the flooring business, they learn by mistakes. So, which is a terrible thing to be. There's installation training companies out there, but these guys just can't afford to go to them. They can't afford to be off their knees working in order to spend two weeks at a school uh, sitting in a classroom to learn how to install. And the, and the products are changing on a daily basis. The concrete mixtures are changing on a daily basis. Um, so it's it's up to me as a manufacturer's representative to coach my, my end users. I constantly, I'm working with a hospital right now on rewriting their specifications to try to overcome installation issues. Um, so it's an ongoing issue that we have to deal with that I see all the time. Now, folks, you're probably thinking about what were these guys wanting to talk about this all this time because we haven't talked about the maintenance. And here we've been, we spent, mo well, all of our podcast time for today on just getting it ready to maintain it. But I think one of the interesting things you're leading into right here, Sean, is you know, just as well as there should have been a certificate, a certification knowledge that the installers had, we need to have people that are certified on how to take care of this because what we've been talking about is there's a lot more to this than just taking out a box that's a 12 by 12 VCT, slapping it on the floor and then saying, okay, 
maintenance guys throw finish on it and take care of it because that's where we've been and that's where we're not today because these floors are now half of what's going down on on commercial facilities these days i would say more than half probably more close to 75 percent and if you if the issues that you and i have talked about uh today sean are going to be the predominant issues before maintenance starts folks what we're saying is this isn't something that you just slap fuller finish on cover it up the the game is different and so what we've done here at the academy is we have an online campus there is a free course go to our online campus you'll find it at www.academyofcleaning.com you can go and look at the free course get some basic knowledge and then if you really want to get into this we have classes at tampa and orlando where you can come in and spend three hours with us and get an accreditation from the academy on maintaining these floors we're not going to talk about that today we've got classes coming up uh, in uh, march and april uh, we didn't schedule any for February because we weren't real sure, Sean, about <laughs> how we were going to get this floor. And uh, next week, I'm uh, going, or I'm sorry, tomorrow, I'm going over and putting finish on the VCT and examining the LV products. But one of the things that we will tell you this afternoon is the first thing you don't do is take a floor pad, go and scrub it, and lay coats of floor finish on it like you do VCT. Definitely not. Did I miss anything? No, I think that's the first thing you don't do. The first thing you do is request the maintenance instructions from the manufacturer. Uh-oh. Well, got to tell you, Sean, that's where I and the manufacturers have a little differences of opinion. Yeah, yeah, that can um, happen. Well, because you know what, uh, a lot of the a lot of the manufacturer recommendations are to scrub it with a rotary machine and a floor pad, and use a burnisher with a floor pad, and I am absolutely one hundred percent totally against that. And I did not instruct our store manager to do that. Uh, I instructed him to use cylindrical brush technology, soft brushes. Um, and, and, and let's just kind of leave today with, does maintenance start the day that we put it on the, you know, the day after the installer or the, or do we just kind of start mopping the floor with a mop? Like we've always been 72 hours after the installation is when maintenance starts. So that's allowed, uh, product to the adhesive to properly cure and be ready for maintenance so at that point then you start need to start maintaining the floor properly from moving forward and folks what we didn't talk about here is if you have <clears throat> the floating floor and if you aren't sure if that is a waterproof floor i did not say water resistant there is a difference between the two you want to make sure that you're not mopping the floor with a mop and a bucket and leaving tons of water on the floor. While you may not think it's tons of water, we're talking about just a small amount of water <clears throat> that can go in between these planks and settle into the to below the, the, the top of the of the vinyl can be detrimental to it. 
And you know, the thing about it is, Sean, that's really interesting as, as I get all the time is people walk into the classroom with their camera on their phone and say, I've got this floor, <clears throat> it's a laminate floor, and I need to know how to take care of it. And I said, well, like that one you're standing on? I go, yeah, just like that. I go, well, yeah. that's not laminate. That's vinyl. Right. Well, no, it's a wood floor. Okay, so now wait a minute. Is it a wood floor, yes. a laminate floor, or a vinyl floor? Right. Sean, next month I want to talk about this because we will have uh, the, the this floor over at Tampa down and, and going. And we'll be uh, getting ready for our first class uh, in March. So if you don't mind, we'll kind of uh, talk about maintenance of luxury vinyl floors next month. That'll be perfect. I'll look forward to it. Hey, you know what? I, w I, w I want to say, if you're if you're getting re ready for a daily driver out of the old Bronco, what's your wife driving to work now? Well, <laughs> believe it or not, she's driving my... Uh the truck that we pull the horse trailer with, which is an F-350 single axle, 11,000-pound vehicle. She's parking in a parking garage. So that's why we're trying to get her into the <laughs> daily driver. <laughs> well, I just was thinking about that. I was thinking, well, let's see, the tractor's down. The, yep. The Bronco's down. The only thing you got left is your vehicle and the one that pulls the trailer. That's right. So she's driving the, the big truck back and forth to work, and – so far, she's uh, not of her fault by no means because Vicky's a great driver. But she's she's bumped one of those yellow poles with the bumper. She's back. She's bumped somebody's vehicle uh, with that big truck. Which, if you just bump somebody's vehicle with that truck, it's like running into them with a tank. <laughs> Eleven thousand pound vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, she has a. They have a couple of spots over there at the garage where she can park a, a large, oversized vehicle. So she. She tries to get to work early so she can park there, but she's really, really uh, pushing me to get the Bronco finished so she can uh, drive it back and forth to work because it's smaller. Yeah, it's not like it, it's not like if I run into something with my Mini and not, nobody even knows it. Right, right. Well, it, no, no I didn't mean that. It is, I didn't mean it, folks, the way it sounded. I haven't run into anything. I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. Our perspective has changed so much too. Is like. You know, I, I took a picture of the Bronco on the trailer behind the, the big truck. And I, when I was in 1996, a Ford half-ton Bronco was a huge vehicle, you know, and in our perspective. And nowadays, you know, my F-350, you it dwarfs that truck. So it's unbelievable the size of the vehicles that are on the road now, comparatively speaking. And I could put your mini in the back of the 350, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah, you certainly could. Yeah, there is no doubt. Yeah, well, hey, you know what? I, I guess I know who to call if I break down on the long side of the road, right? Uh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that would, uh, yeah, I could, uh, the, the truck would definitely either, it could pull your car upside down, no problem. <laughs> you know, it kind of reminds me of my college days. You know, uh, we, we played prank on one of the uh, college guys. We went, uh, a bunch of us guys went out and, and took his VW bug and turned it sideways in the uh, parking spot. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, he didn't think so, but we had fun. No, he probably he probably did. <laughs> he probably did because trying to get that many guys back together to put it back so he could get it out 
was part yeah, of well, that's what Yeah, well, that's where he had the problem because it was now, how do I find enough people that will want to take and help me put it back? They, they all have fun doing it to him, but nobody wanted to help going back. No, exactly. Hey, I do have one serious question, though. You know, we are still sure. in the throes of, uh, of the pandemic. Um, your wife is in the nursing industry. Uh, how goes it there at your home and with her? Um, it's all going. The restrictions at the hospital have increased a little bit. Um, of course, she has to wear a mask all day at work uh, while she's, you know, on campus at the hospital. The vaccines are working their way through the hospital uh, as far as um, the requirements that the state has for the elderly people. And I don't exactly know who else they've released them to. Not everybody's they've released them to. So um, she hasn't had a vaccine yet. And um, only Is she required to? Not at the moment. Not at the moment. Um, I've told her, her and I discussed it. I, I foresee that probably being a requirement. If the, if this thing doesn't take herd immunity and start backing off a little bit, um, they're probably, if you go into a hospital, you're probably going to be required to have a vaccine. I would imagine. I don't, I don't know that yet, but. And how, and how are you feeling? I know that earlier you'd talked about, uh, whether you were actually going to be vaccinated or not, uh, your fight feelings now. I'm still the same way. I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm 53 and I'm healthy and I've had probably up to 10 friends who've had COVID. I haven't had it yet. As far as I know, I haven't been tested, but um, they all had very mild symptoms and, and it went away pretty quickly. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave the vaccines for those who um, deserve it at the moment. Um, and when it gets required, then I'll address that then. But right now I don't, I don't think I don't think uh, my doctor asked me about it the other day and I told him I don't I would rather leave those vaccination vaccines until the, everybody that needs one gets one. People that have, have comorbidities or have or elderly or all those things, leave those those vaccines available for all those people who want to take them. And then I'll 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 step up afterwards. You know, I think it's interesting as you say that because uh, my younger brother, his wife, and their daughter that's still at home in school all contracted uh, COVID um, mm -hmm. over the last three weeks. Um, they've now went through their 10-day quarantine. Loss of taste and smell was about the most severe thing that they had. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, my younger brother went through his triple bypass before I went through my quad. And um, so, you know, he was highly concerned about getting COVID because, you know, him and I both are now in a, in a, a new position in our life. Correct. Correct. And, um, you know, so, you know, he was, he was like, okay, Dave, where are you going to go get your, your shot? And I'm, I'm kind of like you, you know, mm -hmm. I've already went through that. I spend most of my time at home, working from home these days. I go to the studio and the classroom when I have to. I do what I need to do. Um, but even this weekend, we went out to a restaurant and, and folks, you know, we do, we do the, exactly the same thing. But now I've got my wife convinced that we sit close to the door. We don't sit in mm -hmm. the back of the restaurant, you know, because I'm still – I'm still like, okay, if you take off your mask in order to eat in the restaurant, do I really want to be in the back of the restaurant? So we sit close to the front or we wait till there's a table close to the front. 
so that we're where people are walking in with their mask. There's usually nobody right at the front door, you know, that isn't covered with the mask. And I think this is a thing, you know, if you're going to be out in this environment, just be aware, folks, this is what we're saying. The same thing as we're talking about today, Sean, with your LV products, just be aware of the issues, be well-informed, and um, that helps a lot. Yeah, I, I, I was. I went off with my friends uh, Thursday and Friday and Saturday to a, an equipment auction in Dothan, Alabama, and there was a ton of guys up there. We were all outside, of course. Um, some people were wearing masks, but we we stayed in an Airbnb. We brought our own food with us, so we cooked in the in the Airbnb, or we ate sandwiches at the auction. We didn't stand in line and wait for that kind of stuff. And I just made it a you know I stayed away from the crowd. You know I didn't stand next to somebody that I, what I didn't know for a long period of time, you know, for mm-hmm. 15 or 20 minutes and stand within three foot of them. I just, I kept my distance. And right. I think washing your hands, um, not touching your face, keeping your distance from people, those are all things that you can do that, that you know, have you taking personal responsibility for your own actions. And I think that'll help us going forward with this thing, I hope, is personal responsibility. Well, Sean, as you, as you said that, one of the things we did is we looked around and everybody was sitting at the out, in the outdoor and it was packed. And we looked inside and there was three people. And so we sat inside. Correct. Yeah, just pay attention to your surroundings. You know, just, <clears throat> um, you know and, and I, I would think sitting at the front door is better because there's more air circulation instead of in the back where it all settles. So <laughs> I agree with you maybe for, to a different extent, but I agree with you. Sure. And, and and so, folks, what we're, we're saying, and Sean, thank you for another good episode uh, today on podcast. Um, really appreciate you signed up again for another year, and we'll continue this conversation. If you're looking for professional development, go to the academyofcleaning.com to our website. You can find our online campus. You can find our live classrooms. And as everybody is doing, and we've been doing for several years, our remote broadcast from our Orlando studios. You can find uh, find us on LinkedIn. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. We've got our podcast here that you've been listening to. We just are going to sign up with a new podcast platform here in the next couple of weeks. So we'll have another outlet for our podcast as well. Sean, anything that you want to say before we go? Uh, no, just... Um be morally and socially responsible as we move forward and um, hope everybody has a great week and a great month. And I look forward to talking with you guys next, next month. How can they get hold of you? 352-630-9884, 352-630-9884. Or my Instagram page is North Florida underscore flooring, which is abbreviated NF underscore flooring and check me out on Instagram or you can have find me on LinkedIn under my name, Sean DeVore. So I appreciate everybody's interest and time today and we'll talk to you next month. Folks, there's three words that we follow here on this podcast and at the Academy, make sure that whatever you do between now and the time we talk with you next, it is healthy, positive and proactive. Talk to you next time. <laughs>